millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Playing Carl. Billy Bob wrote the film, directed it, shot it all in Arkansas. Today on Cinema Possessed Pod, we're talking about. Sling blade, sling blade, sling blade, sling blade, sling blade, sling blade, sling blade. everybody to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name's Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisha. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be whacked upside the head with a Kaiser blade. Some folks call it a sling blade. Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about 1996's Sling Blade, written, directed, and starring Billy Bob Thornton. In a few minutes, we're going to be in a room with a killer. What you want to know is what I'm doing in here. I killed some folks quite a while back. They told me I'm well from it now. 
name's Frank Wheatley. What's your name? Carl's my name. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. I like the way you talk. Well, I like the way you talk. Mama has a boyfriend. He threatened to kill her if she ever left him. And you're gonna learn to live with my rules. Doyle is a monster. Will you ever kill anybody again, Carl? I don't reckon I got no reason to kill nobody. Sling Blade. Justin, uh, how did you watch this movie? I watched it two ways. Scattered, mm. covered, and smothered. <laughs> oh, nice. That's three ways, but go on. I got, <laughs> I got the DVD, uh, which has zero special features. Nice. Uh, on the back of the box, there's a, a yellow box that says special features include French language track, Spanish subtitles, chapter search. All of which are just the definition of a DVD. <laughs> I mean, I would be curious to hear what Carl sounds like in French. Oh, man, missed opportunity. Yeah. Could you imagine if I watched the whole <laughs> two hours and 50 minutes in French? Um, so I went to my local video store. Just before you move off this DVD, this DVD cover has that Miramax Dimension widescreen banner over the top of it that just... Brings back a lot of memories. I had a lot of DVDs and VHSs that had that widescreen. Yeah, it's iconic. It, but it is not a signifier of a quality DVD true, features. True, true. So, I, I, yeah, I went to Videotech. I rented it on Blu-ray because that thing was loaded with special Dude, features. Dude, yeah, so that's what I have is the Blu-ray. And, yeah, I mean, this thing has more special features than a Criterion Collection disc. I mean, it's got uh, full commentary, which I did watch. It has a feature called Mr. Thornton Goes to Hollywood. It has a Bravo profile on Billy Bob Thornton. Neither one of those things are like directly about Sling Blade, but obviously Sling Blade is a part of those features. And then there's a roundtable discussion with Billy Bob Thornton, Dwight Yoakam, Mickey Jones, and producer David Bushel. There's a conversation with Billy Bob Thornton and Robert Duvall. There's Snooze. a conversation. Yeah, there's a conversation with uh, Billy Bob and the composer Daniel Lenoy. There's a, a feature called The Return of Carl, which we should talk about. That one's interesting. And then um, there's some on the set, behind the scenes, this short featurettes um, showing Billy Bob at work. Yet another week where your copy beats mine. And not only that, your copy is out of print. Yeah, you told me that. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. They're going for 40 bucks on eBay. Damn. 40 45 bucks uh you can't buy it new anymore but mm -hmm. yeah there's no no way to get a new copy of sling blade on blu-ray which is uh tragic well i'm proud to have it my first blu-ray to speak of on this podcast i <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that it's a movie like sling blade yeah <laughs> exactly i like that you're uh to the blu-ray copy i'm assuming the one i rented is exactly the same as yours but the the opening uh i i miss this about dvds and blu-rays that you don't get with netflix but uh, when they have a custom intro to the DVD menu. Right. So there's like Carl on a bridge and yeah. there's like a digital leaf falling. Yes. And they added digital birds flying. Yeah. And you get that great Daniel Lenoy score popping yeah. in there. That, mm -hmm. you know, I, yeah. I, when, when Corey and I put this on, that DVD mini thing popped up and I literally said, take me there, Billy. <laughs> like I'm ready to go wherever you want to take me. Mm -hmm. This is I'm I'm all in already on this bin. You were talking to Billy, not to Carl. I'm sorry, Billy Bob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> take me there, Billy Bob. Um, um so what was your relationship to Sling Blade uh before this week when you watched it? What what do you remember the first time you saw it? I was late to the Sling Blade train. Uh I'm pretty sure you introduced me to to Sling Blade. Obviously I, I had 
heard of the movie and I was familiar with the uh, famous Mad TV sketches yes. about Sling Blade. As you know, we face a very grave situation here. There's only one man who can save us. Reckon you fellers are talking about me. I give you Sling Blade. Billy Bob is back. Sling Blade, will you be flying into space to kill the aliens? I don't reckon I got no reason to kill nobody. So hopefully that won't be necessary. We're hoping that Sling Blade will bond with the alien sort of the way he did with that little boy in that movie. <laughs> when you alien fellers have got it coming, I reckon I gotta kill you. James Cameron, Sling Blade 2. The Reckoning. Carl's back. And this time, he's got a budget. Hasta la vista, baby. I reckon. I love that they just refer to him as Sling Blade. <laughs> yeah, which is misleading because my whole life I thought that that character of Carl was Sling Blade. Yeah. And it makes him seem more menacing. It makes him seem yeah. like a superhero or something, uh, which he kind of, honestly, he kind of is. There was a hilarious Matt, Matt TV sketch. It was like a Terminator 2 parody uh -huh. where he also, he plays Ar Arnie. Yeah, I could see that. And he looks exactly like him. Anyone wow. anyone listening should should look this up, but he goes back into uh, the time of Jesus and uh -huh. is trying to save Judas, a Jesus from getting murdered by Judas. And Jesus keeps trying to explain to him that he he's supposed to die as the son of God. Honestly, for, that's brilliant. Yes, it's so good. And there's this hilarious scene at the Last Supper where Jesus, just like John Connor, is like training him not to kill, but he doesn't listen. And he bursts through the door in the Last Supper as Judas is about to kill him and he blows him away with a shotgun and he flies onto the table and Jesus revives him and says stop it and he shoots him again <laughs> and Jesus keeps reviving him and he keeps shooting <laughs> Judas. That's great. There's, but he's going to kill you. I know he's supposed to kill me. <laughs> they did another one with Sling Blade a few years later with Blade. Did yeah. you see that one? Yeah. It was called I Blades. I tried to find it but I couldn't. Find it's it. so funny. Yeah, it's there's there's such a great line. Uh, Blade says, "I'm going to kill the vampires that bit my mother." And then Sling Blade goes, "I bit a vampire one time." Them suckers taste like corn. <laughs> Why? Um, Man, I was going to say, I was going to make a game where it was like the first one of us to do a Carl voice loses, but we already, uh, we with got that cold ship opened. has sailed. Yeah, that long ago. Um, so you had, yeah, and so you saw it, probably that, I, I think I remember when yeah, we watched you, this together. You, you introduced it to me, we watched it together, it blew me away. It was one of those one of those movies that I can't believe it took me that long to see. Um, swept me away back then, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna hold out on this podcast, it, it swept me away. Oh yeah. This time, just as hard. Yeah, I mean, this is, I'm from Arkansas, this movie, Billy Bob is from Malvern, Arkansas, this movie was shot in Benton, Arkansas, so I have vivid memories of when this movie um, came out in theaters. You couldn't really escape it in Arkansas in 1996 when this came out. Everybody was talking about it. It was, you know, a lot, a lot of movies don't shoot in Arkansas, and when they do, they certainly don't get as popular as Sling Blade got. I mean, Sling Blade was a phenomenon for being such a low budget, small indie movie, it swept the nation. It was like all anybody was talking about for especially that award season. Um, yeah, this seems to be the movie that put Billy Bob on the map. Yeah, definitely. 
And I remember being um, afraid of it because it was called Sling Blade and it sounded scary to me. And my mom was really afraid of it. I guess my mom had heard that it was disturbing. But then I have a very specific memory of going to a family gathering with my dad's side of the family. And they had all just seen the movie and they were quoting it the whole weekend and talking about their favorite scenes. And so I, as just like a little kid sitting in there, I was enraptured by what they were talking about in the movie. My dad's side of the family was always really into movies. It was that this was usually what they would do when we all hung out is they would like quote movies together. And before I saw a lot of movies, I would kind of know a lot of the iconic lines because of the way my dad and my uncles would quote them. Stuff like Deliverance, The Outlaw Josie Wales. They even did it for Jackie Brown when Jackie Brown came out. They were obsessed with it. And before I saw that movie, I knew so many of the iconic lines, but Sling Blade was a big one. So coming out of that family vacation, I no longer was afraid to see the movie because I had heard so much about it. I was like jazzed to see the movie. So yeah, the first time I saw it, just absolutely loved it. Was there a sense of pride that Billy Bob was from Arkansas and did his journey in any way like inspire you to want to become a filmmaker? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of pride from Arkansas and I have a lot of pride for for it now. I can't say that this movie was one of my inspirations as being a filmmaker necessarily, but when I like to me this the Sling Blade is kind of the the quintessential Arkansas movie and it's kind of what I hold every movie that comes out of Arkansas. I sort of hold it up to the standard of Sling Blade. Not one false move. No, I mean I love one false move. But it's not Sling Blade. You not know, Sling One Blade. False Move is a great thriller. It is good. And it's very fun to watch. But this movie totally changed it. I mean, let's just talk about Billy Bob's transformation of Carl. It's this. unbelievable. I mean, my, my girlfriend was in the room and the entire time she had no clue it was. Yeah, really? Billy yeah. Bob. You know, we talked about this with Scarface. You know, you were saying that it was hard for you to to see past Pacino. Not with this I wondered, movie. yeah, what is Not that? Not with this. Not at all. Physical transformation, his posture, his face, what he's doing with his jaw, uh, his voice. And he locks into it. You can see in the special features that like in order to do the character, he first like gets the posture. Uh, he probably does the Alexander technique, which I think is a lot about body posture mm -hmm. and things like that to sort of find character but you can see him like he'll be you know given direction and looking just like a normal billy bob thornton and then when they roll the camera he like hunches and kind of crack his neck to the side and then when his face comes back he's like protruded his jaw out and he's furrowed his brow and he does completely look like a different person he starts rubbing his hands together and then it's clear i mean in in all the bonus features he talks about he's been doing this character for a while right and he's had plenty of time to rehearse so to speak yeah you know yeah he's, and, he's he said that he came up with the character while shooting a tv movie that he was not having a good time on and he they had him with a funny haircut and he said he was standing in the mirror of his trailer just having a pity party being like what the fuck are you doing with your life you look so stupid you have like three lines in this movie and he started kind of making fun of himself started making faces at himself in the mirror and through the process that's how he found the character of carl and apparently came up with that whole opening monologue right then and there in the trailer bathroom and apparently just like also entertained his friends with yeah, it too. Yeah, he would make John Ritter laugh with, yeah. with um, Carl. And, and it must have been hard, I think, for, for Billy Bob to make this movie because he's directing it 
and acting in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned from the special features that, you know, playback was huge for him mm-hmm. because when he was in the scenes doing Carl, he could not pay any attention to anybody else's performances. And so yeah. the playback was fully for him to just look at the other actors and make sure they were doing good. Maybe on a Patreon episode, we'll debate what was the better writer, director, performer movie, this or Braveheart. Oh, yeah. We could also do Dances with Wolves. Boo. <laughs> Okay, the postman. <laughs> I also think uh, uh, Carl is strangely more handsome <laughs> than, you know, I don't want to like say Billy Bob's ugly. He's not an ugly man at all. But when he protrudes his jaw, it, to me, there's a, the, he, he becomes kind of strikingly handsome. That's you're in the minority. You think so? It's the soul of Carl that's sexy. I agree with that. Yeah. Everybody wants a man who lives inside of his own heart. That's true. It's a big place to be. So you're talking about Lucas Black now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that line when when uh, that great line when he says that that boy lives in inside his heart. It's an awfully big place to be. Yeah. Uh, I think he knows a little bit about that. I think. Oh, he, for sure. He lives there too. He speaks like somebody out of time. He has like a Flannery O'Connor style. Of- yeah. Well, even for the time of the mo- the movie, like the the setting of Arkansas mm-hmm. at that time still feels like he's behind you know totally um which adds to me a little bit to the magic and the charm yeah when i hear a movie is an arkansas movie you know when jeff nichols puts out a movie um i'm going in wanting that kind of poetic and you don't get it and you don't always get it no i will say i love jeff nichols's movies and he does his thing he does his arkansas thing and you know david gordon green is from arkansas and he's kind of got his thing too that he's moved away from but especially in the early days with like george washington and all the real girls he was definitely bringing that southern flavor i don't think there's any arkansas filmmakers who suck hmm that's a good i'll have to think on that I mean, I know a few, but (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, too, uh, it's so clear that he knows people like this or who older men who who talk like that. Uh, You can't just like Google these sayings, you know, this is is something that you have to have deeply lived your entire life. So I feel like that also lends itself, uh, you know, a lot of famous performances from actors that are that are regarded as like transformations, you know, they're stepping into someone else's character. They're right. stepping into something that someone else wrote. And this is something that Billy Bob wrote for himself that was well-practiced that he knew, you know. I would say Billy Bob Thornton is one of our greatest like transformative actors. It makes sense because he's talked about his his favorite actors and, and, the, and the actors that he looks up to. And one of the big ones that he talks about is Lon Chaney Sr., who was known as like the man of a thousand faces. You know, he was an actor that transformed. Mm-hmm. You can see it very clearly in something like Sling Blade. But I mean, if you think about- U-Turn. U-Turn, you know, that's- uh, Also a, unrecognizable. Exactly, yeah. he, he does it a lot in um, Dead Man, Jim mm-hmm. Jarmusch's movie, Simple Plan. He plays the brother in a simple plan and he's so- You think Sam Raimi saw one false move in Sling Blade and was a fan of Paxson and Billy Bob together and put them in that movie. I wanna say that they were friends. Maybe they became friends later. I remember there was a story about Bill Paxson working with James Cameron on um, one of the, they were working on something, Maybe oh, maybe it was Aliens. And Bill Paxson and James Cameron went and saw Evil Dead 2 together and they came out just being like, that's a fucking movie right there. Wow, I'm surprised Cameron liked it. Yeah, Cameron loved it. I, I just remember, 
uh, on this go around feeling more compelled to learn about Billy Bob and realizing I'm familiar with him mm -hmm. as a celebrity and as an actor in various movies I've seen him in. Mm -hmm. uh, always, always impressing me, but kind of just not really paying that much attention to him. Yeah. And feeling really inclined to dig a little bit deeper into just his origin story. Yeah. Of like if you, if it's you, inspiring. His if you just story. look at the early chapters of his life of leaving Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, you know, moving to New York with his friend and then going back to Arkansas and then, you know. Yeah, he came close to giving up yeah. multiple times. Yeah, it just like he came from nothing and he ascended into superstardom. Yes, with he's this movie. He's incredibly talented and he, I don't know him personally, but from hearing other people speak about him at that time, it seems like he managed to sort of retain a little bit of his small town roots and his for sure yeah. his humble beginning this movie got nominated for two oscars best actor for billy bob and best adapted screenplay it won for best adapted screenplay interesting that it's adapted because it's adapted from his stage play there was also a short film as well mm -hmm. called um some folks call it a sling blade did you watch that uh i think i watched it back in the day with yeah. you but i didn't watch it this time it's okay it's not terrible it's just that opening scene but the opening scene is better it's in the movie. done better yeah. in the movie and he didn't direct the short film the short film was directed by george hickenlooper who really i only know as the he's one of the directors of hearts of darkness that documentary about mm -hmm. the making of apocalypse now and I could tell when watching the, listening to the commentary, when, when Billy Bob would sort of bring up the short film, you could tell he has issues with it. And you could tell he probably didn't have a fantastic experience. Wow, I pulled up the uh, 1997 Oscars and Jeffrey Rush won for Shine. For Shine, yeah. Uh, it I, was also Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire, Ray Fiennes, The English Patient, Woody Harrelson, People versus Larry Flint. And should have won Billy Bob Thornton Sling Blade. Yeah, the 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 Oscars. I watched some clips of that too, and I watched the Billy Crystal's opening monologue, and he says in the in his opening monologue that this is the year of the independent film, and he almost says it contemptuously, like there's only one of all the nominees. Every movie nominated at the Oscars that year, only one of them came from a major studio, and that was Jerry Maguire. The rest of the nominees came from the lower, the Miramaxes and the Focus Features and stuff like that. And you could tell that was the talk of the moment, was like Hollywood is getting invaded by independent film. And Billy Crystal is almost like, making fun of it in a way of like, well, we got a weird one here, folks. There's a lot of new people in the room. And yeah. I did, I will say though, watching it as like, I miss Billy Crystal as a, as an Oscars host. He did, a, he's, he does like a whole song and dance for everything. Of course he did a Carl impression. Um, he didn't have a great joke with it, but he did an impression. Um, I don't know. I don't know about this adapted screenplay thing. I've, I just feel like it should have been in its own category, but then it would have been going up against Fargo. That would have been tough. Yeah, and they won. Yeah. They won. Speaking of awards, this is a Miramax movie. When I put in the the DVD, there was a, a trailer that played for Miramax. And that is, they used to do that on their VHS tapes too. Mm -hmm. All their Miramax movies would have like a honestly good like compilation trailer of all their big movies. And I remember like Scream had one and it had like Pulp Fiction and The Crow and it was, you know, they did mm -hmm. Dimension. Just like movies. their slate 
of like what was out yeah or coming soon and i those those trailers are like burned in my head because they always used like pretty good music and they cut them fast and it mm -hmm. was like made them look awesome and this blu-ray has one of them too but it was mm -hmm. for stuff like gangs in new york and there will be blood and no country for old men it was mm -hmm. like for newer miramax stuff but it was in that same style it was like kind of high intensity and it was it made all these movies look fucking awesome and that's like you know miramax and the weinstein of it all has has its complications but nobody cut better trailers for their own shit do you get annoyed by that about blu-rays and dvds all the shit you have to skip to get to the main menu the only annoying part of it is that you can't hit the menu button to go to it you know and dvds used to have that too but you could hit the menu button and it would skip right on past them but for whatever reason in blu-rays you have to literally like hit the chapter button and like go through the trailers and skip them yeah i mean it, it sure sure as hell beats vhs but it's still you know i get that they want to advertise stuff to you but if you've already uh, a lot of blu-ray players have like a cache that they save data in so mm -hmm. it knows if you've stopped a movie midway through and you turn it off turn it off turn it on later yeah it'll ask you do you want to continue where you left off which i think is great um you had that that technology with vhs too that's true you, know, you, <laughs> you would just you turn stop. off the vhs player you mm -hmm. turn it back on it's right where you it's left right it. where you left it um so i'm glad they kept that feature but i did have a curiosity <laughs> about the trailers i mean it was stuff like there was a, a mike judge movie that i don't even remember it was Extract? jason was it called Extract? Yeah, where he works at a... At yeah, a okay, that's yeah. what it was called, yeah. Jason Bateman mm -hmm. and Ben Affleck. And I was like, I don't even remember this movie. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of interesting. They had like Adventureland mm -hmm. on there. Um, yeah, we sat and watched them. But we were annoyed but, by them by the end of it. Yeah, well, how many curious. times did you turn on this Blu-ray and Three. have to skip through all Three this? Three different crap. times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. we're back with cinema possessed and we're talking sling blade so let's get into it that opening scene in the um the hospital where, where carl where carl has been for 30 years mm -hmm. and um you get this great opening scene of jt walsh coming over to carl and telling him this story and and it's all done in one take it's really this movie is actually pretty bold billy bob's directing style is understated 
but in subtle ways, it's very showy. And this opening scene is one of them where it starts wide and then JT Walsh gets up from the corner of the room and he starts dragging this chair over across the room. And as he's doing it, the camera starts to slowly move around the room until finally it actually lands into like this great profile close-up of Carl. And it's all done in this actually pretty big and sort of elaborate move, but you barely notice it because the movie is already kind of like drawing you into its dreamy pace. And it does that a lot through the movie. Like so many of these scenes are just like master shots that either just kind of hang out in the corner of the room or very subtly move and change positions. Yeah, I like his his instincts as a first time director, I think are really strong. Big time. A movie like this wants to play out in as many masters as you can. It's a good performance movie. You get to see, you don't have too much cutting, distracting you from, no. from the, the chemistry. There's nothing cutty about this movie. And most of the scenes, that by doing that, by like putting the camera kind of in the corner and letting you watch everything, you feel like the awkward guest that's sitting in the corner having to kind of watch this family dispute. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to look at whatever you want, you know? And I think that he's, he talks about that in the commentary that he likes, he doesn't like the camera to tell you what to look at in terms yeah. of the way he makes movies. He said something interesting on the commentary too. I don't know if he was joking, but definitely feels like it would work. Uh, a, a scene that you uh, you know that you don't want an editor to to mess up. Yeah. You just shoot it in a, in a master and that's all that you give them. And yeah. then you know it's going to look exactly like how you shot it. Yeah. You know? And he said that throughout the shoot, like the producers and the script supervisors kept getting nervous about the way he was shooting it. They were yeah. like, are you sure? You sure you just want to sit here the whole time? Clearly he's right though. This opening chunk up until for me when uh, Carl walks off the bus and he's back in his hometown yeah. and the mu music starts getting like fun and A little jaunty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels like horror. Scary, yeah. And again, with what you were saying about your preconceived notions of Sling Blade, mm -hmm. the title, uh, the the rumors that people are talking about, the quotes. They're building them up the way you would build up like Hannibal Lecter or something. Yeah. You do think there's something scary going to happen. My mother, she jumped up in there and started hollering, what'd you kill Jesse for? What'd you kill Jesse for? Well, hmm. Come to find out, I don't reckon my mother minded what Jesse was doing to her. I reckon that made me madder than what Jesse'd made me. So I taken the Kaiser blade. Some folks called it a slang blade. I call it a Kaiser blade. And I hit my mother upside the head with it. Killed her. Uh, the, the lighting in the scene is really cool. I like, it doesn't really come back into play that Carl doesn't like light. I guess it seems to imply that he needs darkness, but that never really comes back later on in the movie. There's never a scene where it's like, turn the lights off for Carl. Um, it's mostly just for atmosphere and mood, but it looks fucking great. And Billy Bob said that he wanted the movie to feel yellow and brown. Mm -hmm. And he compared- Like Hoosiers. Like, yeah, he loves Hoosiers. And he told his DP, Barry Markowitz, to mimic the Hoosiers style. But uglier. But uglier, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the lamp thing I thought was great for me. My taste as a someone watching movies and and making movies with you, I, I don't care if something is consistent throughout the entire movie. Meaning, um, you you established something. It worked really fucking well in the mm -hmm. scene. It tells you something about the character. It makes you feel a certain way when you watch it. 
I don't need Billy Bob to repeat that five times no, yeah. throughout the movie. It doesn't bother me at it. all yeah. that it doesn't come back. Also, too, the in terms of the music, the that whole opening in the hospital has this really eerie, spooky score going on that lasts completely throughout that whole 18 minutes. It's, it starts as the first shot is fading up from black, the music starts there and literally continues on through the entire sequence. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of the music bold. in the movie is is um, kind of pulsing through yeah. scene after scene after scene. It almost sounds synthetic. It almost sounds like synths, but I think it's all just like guitars and things just heavily run through like pedals. Yeah, and, and I feel like he's incorporating harmonica or something. Probably, too. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the music in this movie is really good. It's done by Daniel Lenoy. He was a Canadian producer. He did like uh, he produced a lot of U2's records. He worked with Peter Gabriel and and um, Bob Dylan, and then he worked with Brian Eno a lot, um, and actually did some music for David Lynch's Dune too with Brian Eno. Uh, and you can sort of feel that. I, I feel like this movie. Speaking of Dune, I think there's better, more interesting world building in this movie than there is in something like Denis Villeneuve's Dune which is a much grander and much more, you know, it's another world that that needs, requires more world building. This movie is fully fleshed yeah. out. It feels so alive, so real. And you really get, the, by the end of the movie, you really get a sense of all the people and, and, and all the nooks and crannies of The this. world building, I feel like that credit goes to Arkansas. I feel like Arkansas is doing a lot of heavy lifting and Billy Bob is casting a lot of people that he knows, Absolutely, yeah. letting them do their thing. He's yeah. not really getting too involved. He's just opening up the curtains mm-hmm. to his world and letting it do the talking. And yeah, I feel like that's what I appreciate. He talks about casting, you know, like for the security guard at the hospital, he was looking at actors for it, but that he the guy who was actually showing them around at the location scout who who worked at the hospital, he was like, this should just be the guy and casted him. He casted his buddy who plays the auto shop guy, Bill, mm-hmm. his, uh, his guy named Rick Dial, who's a guy that Billy Bob had known since he was eight years old, never done a movie before, but he could just feel that he had a, a charisma to him that would work well. And he's great. And I, he got tons of roles after this movie Yeah, I too. thought that was a funny story that Robert Duvall casted him in The Apostle, yeah, probably, yeah. and gave him more lines than Billy Bob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the uh, he gets released, and the credits start. And that happens 18 minutes into the movie is when the credits roll, which is always a baller move, in my opinion. The tone starts to shift a little bit from the scary. You get a much more laid back, easy going, kind of fun. Yeah, and it starts to present good. comedy to it, too. Yeah, the, the, his interaction with the gorilla, mm-hmm. that quirky moment where he looks at the camera. He spikes the camera. Yeah, that was fun. It almost feels like he's going to go, you're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> uh, we get to meet Jim Jarmusch, who who is playing uh, the the frosty cream uh, food truck mm-hmm. guy. Makes me want a bongo burger. Bongo burgers and big chief burgers, corny dogs, creamy bars. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I love the little detail of his little paper hat keeps hitting the top of the window. Yeah, he keeps know? having to adjust it. That's fun. Yeah, and then this is where you know the real star of the movie. Gets introduced, which is but French fried potatoes. French fried potatoes <laughs> with mustard. French fries are pretty good. French fried potatoes. Yep, French fries. How much you want for them? Well, they're sixty for the medium and seventy-five for large. Mm. All right, can I help me some of the bacon? So then he ends up meeting Lucas Black, who was 11 years old at the time. 
this kid's so fucking good. Like he's he's still a good actor now, but man, what a what a find mm-hmm. this kid. He's so natural. Nothing about him feels Disney Channel or Nickelodeon. It's because I don't think he really did much acting. He was kind of just being himself. Is he from Arkansas? The local? No, I think he said he was from Alabama. Hmm. And yeah, he got a tape from this from from Lucas Black's mom. They were desperate. I think they were like a week away from shooting. They still hadn't found their kid. And um, Billy Bob sort of desperately called up one of his casting director friends, and, and they were like, "Well, we just worked with this kid. He's amazing." They hit it off instantly, and they go down to Hoochie's Dollar Store, where Frank's mom works, and we get introduced to the Frank's mom, Melinda, who's played by Natalie Canarday, who is a local legend in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hmm. I've seen her play at community theaters before. Mm. Yeah, I like her a lot. Get Melanie Linsky vibes. Yeah, she does have Melanie Linsky vibes. She was in One False Move before this as well. Mm-hmm. And she's really natural and great. And she has a great, I think her voice is iconic. Like it's it's such an interesting, real authentic Arkansas accent. Uh, I just love her. And then we also get to meet Vaughn, who is played by John Ritter. And that is Linda's gay best friend who works at the dollar store with her almost unrecognizable as well. Mm-hmm. And he, t- Billy Bob talked about how he wanted to make sure all the big name actors in this movie were dressed in such a way that you wouldn't recognize them immediately. That you would have to sort of take the character as themselves first before your brain said, oh, that's the person that I know. And I think he nails it because yeah. John Ritter is like almost unrecognizable in this. He's never looked this way before. He said that he had never cut his hair for any role. He's got like frosted tips and it's, you know, he's got this very high and tight spiked hairdo that- With a bad fade. But it works with the haircut and the glasses and the demeanor. And the part of it too is that John Ritter was like a total typecast actor. He was really only given comedic sitcom style roles. He was never really given the chance to flourish as a dramatic actor until this movie. Thank God we got to have this. Yeah, and he's so good. And it's again, it's like, it's a character that is so sympathetic and so tolerant. There's there's like three major villains in this movie or, or like evil people. There's, there's uh, J.T. Walsh. There's Doyle and then there's Carl's dad. Outside of them, pretty much everybody else in this movie is like a good-hearted, accepting person of of Carl. Which I like. I love. He's also interested in in subverting stereotypes about the South uh, yes. as well, which uh, you don't have too many people doing. But I would say this is a very liberal film. And Billy Bob talked about that. I don't remember if it was in the commentary or if maybe it was an interview that I watched, but... You know, he he was they, somebody was asking him about um, you know the politics of the movie and like this being um, an anti bigotry movie, and he was like, it is, but I would never call it that, and I didn't want it to to be promoted as such because the second you call a movie anti bigotry, anti racist, all the racists and the bigots they'll avoid it. They don't want to see it. He was like, I wanted to make a movie that would pull in everybody. And a person who is maybe homophobic might watch this movie and actually change their opinion. And I think you know, that's, uh, honestly, it's a, more movies should do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the this scene also introduces us to the second supporting actor of this film. Potted me. Potted me. <laughs> 
I was going to ask, have you ever had potted meat? I've before? never had potted meat before. I, I d honestly don't even know what like the consistency. I, my yeah, imagination is it's like what, spam. How, we are we are so stupid. We are we're doing we're getting getting together doing a podcast putting all this work into it and we didn't think Dinguses. to try potted meat on the show. Damn. Could um, we even do you th even think we could find that in LA? I actually don't even know. Because that's a that is a dollar store in Benton, Arkansas <laughs> called Hoochie's Dollar yeah, Store. Yeah, I don't even Who think the that. hell knows? Frank the little boy uh says that the you know his dad told him that there was all sorts of stuff in that potted meat, like peckers, mm -hmm. uh, specifically. And I, I remember as a little kid hearing the word pecker often and knowing that that was a bad word and and, and feeling like that was one of the more um, hardcore aspects of this movie is that a little kid says pecker. Do you remember the brand of the potted meat in the movie? Uh, it starts with an A, like armor. Or I something. found armor, yeah. star, potted meat, three ounce, That's pack it. of 48 for $40 on Amazon. Buy now. <laughs> one day shipping <laughs> overnight it please all right we'll do it can we eat it on the on the patreon special yeah of course now i was reading an interview with harmony kareen where he t talks about how much he hates sling blade he hates it and you know he it, this is harmony kareen at like 21 years old mm -hmm. so he's a little brat back yeah. then and he had just made gummo and people were comparing the two movies and he really didn't appreciate the comparisons to sling blade and he thought it was like overly romanticized. And he said too that, you know, I, I thought it was so dumb that he didn't molest the little boy, you know, which is a very what? classic Harmony Korean thing disgusting. to say. Um, but get out of town. What they end up talking about in this interview is that there was a there was kind of a trend going on at the time of movies and TV shows being about southern small towns and red they they referred to it as hillbilly chic. And Harmony Korean was like very, I don't want to be associated with this hillbilly chic trend that's going on and that i thought that was interesting so i started looking into you know what all movies came out at the time so you had hearts of fire which was a southern based show and heavy thick accents in that show clark duke actually i think started you know clark duke mm -hmm. he was like a child actor in that show he played john ritter's son mm -hmm. in that um, and he's from arkansas also. and he's also yeah. from arkansas sling blade came out that year gummo came out the year after a time to kill came out this year uh dead man came out the year before Lone Star Ghosts of the Mississippi Tom and Huck and even Bottle Rocket which is Wes Anderson's first film Wes Anderson's from Texas but I thought that was kind of interesting that there was like a a, a a southern hillbilly trend going on I guess I just don't find it that culture. surprising it's not like it's another country it's like been in the movies for a long time it's well it's always like it's been there avoided. it sounds like it was they were getting a slew of them and this movie I think was a real what was became the the north star of mm -hmm. the southern indie movie yeah it's still i mean there's no it's the movie is also very commercial too at the same time. oh big time yeah i mean so i, I get what harmony kareen is saying i don't agree with him right i appreciate both i like harmony kareen's movies yeah, yeah. and i i you're like, getting a real different yeah. vibe from gummo yeah yeah no i mean i i i mashed up sling blade with jaws in my mm -hmm. in my opening but I do think there is a spiel. This is there. There is a lot of ET in this movie. There's a lot of Terminator Two in this movie. There is a lot of Terminator. Oh, you're right. It's yeah. a very similar. If you take away the robots and the guns from yeah. Terminator Two, you have Sling Blade, an outside friendly uh, being, mm -hmm. comes into the world of a of a of a young boy without a father, a fatherless young boy mm -hmm. who is going through their own troubles mm -hmm. and 
through their adventure together, they both changed their lives. And, and at the end of both of all three of them, E.T., Terminator 2, and Sling Blade, that outside being has to go back. Right, and Dwight Yoakam and the T-1000 are killed. Yeah. I think Doyle is one of the all-time bad guys in movies, mm -hmm. played by Dwight Yoakam. Damn, this is some inspired casting mm -hmm. here. He's so fucking good. Mm -hmm. Dwight Yoakam had never, he had done some movies in really small parts, and obviously he was a huge country rock star at the time. But nobody had ever cast him in a big role like this. Uh, apparently, Billy Bob Thornton saw him in a movie called Roswell with, with Colin McLaughlin, and that was kind of what clued him in. That was what gave him the feeling that this man had it in him. I'm very interested to watch that movie. Yeah, I've never heard of it. But man, he's really scary. He's really genuinely scary. And not because he's physically that intimidating, but because he's such a a bully. He's yeah, such he's, a live wire. He's interesting because he's not physically in intimidating Carl in any way. Carl could technically overpower him, probably, mm -hmm. which is classic bully. And what, what makes him not feel like a Southern stereotype to you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I have to say, I've I've uh, I've been around a lot of dads that gave me Doyle vibes. I had friends growing up that had alcoholic fathers that you know would sit on the couch and watch TV and drink, and it was a situation in which you didn't, you know, you would steer clear of them, and if they tried to engage with you, it was kind of tension filled. Mm -hmm. You know, that person in the house that you kind of got to walk on eggshells around. You can you can tell there's like fear in in Doyle that like seems to to spawn his viciousness towards I think other everything people. in him is is based in fear yeah I think he's afraid he's as he's looking at Carl saying I'm not afraid of you mm -hmm. what makes you think I'm afraid of you he says a whole bunch of other awful awful stuff yeah I think he's saying I am afraid of you oh you for know? sure so was you locked up for cutting someone up with a hatchet or something I ain't never used no hatchet that I remember. Mm. It wouldn't matter to me if you did do violence on somebody. I ain't scared of shit. You think I'm scared for you to stay here? You just a humped over retard, it seems to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Welcome to our humble home, buddy. When Doyle uh, is sitting on the couch interacting with Linda, I feel like everything he's saying is loaded in toxicity. Yeah. But he's like smiling and you are almost expecting him like a loaded gun to just go off at any moment. Oh, but yeah. he doesn't. So that's I thought that was brilliant that your your first introduction to him is not like, oh, he's so nice or oh, he's so evil. It's man, this guy is going to explode at any second, but he's not. He's walk. He's uh, keeping it cool. And he goes back and forth the whole movie. He'll 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 explode and then he'll apologize. Yeah. Which again is like the manic depressive nature of Doyle that like out of nowhere, he wants to get all his friends together and party. But in about three hours, he's going to just all of a sudden decide he does not want anybody. There yeah. And, he's gonna and also it's not his house. And it's not his house. So frustrating. Yeah. That, that scene is frustrating because he he's. He gets the idea and Linda's like, no, no, please, no. And he's like, essentially just like, shut the fuck up and go get my yeah, guitar. All you have to do is just run us some ice every, at, now, every and now and again. When our drinks like, get low. How dare you? I love watching Lucas Black in that scene because he's, he doesn't, he has like maybe two lines in, in that dinner table scene. So he's just sitting there expressing with his face. Every time he looks at Doyle, he is scowling at Doyle. Like he 
hates Doyle. But then every time he turns and looks at his mom, his expression changes to like, you're right, mama. Even though he's not saying anything, you can see it all in his face. Like that's a scene you watch. Yeah. Just watch Lucas Black in that scene and you know dude is talented. Yeah, kid. masterclass in acting. Doyle's friends come over. That whole scene is great because it mostly takes place in a wide master shot. And it culminates in this squabble. Doyle ends up getting fed up with his bandmates and he just flips and, and kicks them all out. It's a pretty violent scene. We don't got no goddamn band. We don't need to fucking practice, Randy. We don't need a shit ass manager neither. You motherfuckers. Y'all just a bunch of losers. I'm the only one sane son of a bitch here. Just get the fuck out of my house now. It's not your house, Doyle. It's Linda's. I'll whip the dog shit out of you, Vaughn. I will fucking kill you if you talk to me again. Now all of you, get the fuck out now before I get too mad to turn back. You see Doyle finally show all his true colors, which yeah. is incredibly violent um and explosive and then you see frank finally um kind of step yeah. up and and protect his mom protect his mom you see doyle cowering which is really interesting yeah, like, he's kind of afraid of frank yeah uh again showing also the other dynamic of a scared little yeah little little man in a back and forth you know mm -hmm. he he goes berserk and then he frank starts throwing books at him and stuff and he's like I'm fucked up. I'm sorry. And he's like, I love you, Linda. And Frank goes, well, I hate you. And he goes, I hate you, you little shit. No, I don't. No, <laughs> no I, don't. I don't. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I mama. mama. I love your mama. Yeah. It's heartbreaking because he, he kind of reveals to Carl at one point, uh, maybe it was earlier, uh, you know, if his daddy was still around, he wouldn't like yeah, put he, up with he, this. Yeah, he'd get rid and, of oil. And his mom can't stand up for herself. And, and uh, Vaughn can't stand up for themselves and he's just looking for somebody to protect him. He's Which is ultimately becomes one of the big themes of the movie mm -hmm. is Carl becoming a, mm -hmm. a father. And Carl having to deal with his own father issues. Yeah, I will say uh, up until Doyle's outburst, I was probably feeling like this was the weakest scene for me. I was bored with the, yeah. with the band practice. I was bored with their nonsensical conversation. <laughs> I felt like it lingered in I all of that. I stood on the hill. No thanks. Not for a thrill. Not, no thanks. <laughs> Skip. Skip. It was making me laugh, but I, yeah, I agree. There's some, the, the scene is a little prolonged. Um, you know, that was a big note that that Billy Bob got a lot when he before the movie came out was to to cut a lot of these scenes down. The story, did you did you see the story about Harvey Weinstein in this film? No. Classic Weinstein story. They started showing the movie to potential buyers and Harvey Weinstein wanted to see it. They he didn't see his own movie? No, no, no. Harvey Weinstein did not have anything to do with the making of the movie. Oh, just distributing it? Just distributing mm -hmm. it. Billy Bob raised all the money himself, had his own investors, made the movie completely on his own. Then once the movie was cut and finished, he started showing it to, to distributors to try to get it bought. So Weinstein, they got Weinstein a tape. Weinstein watched 30 minutes of the movie and decided he wanted to buy it, which is a very classic bonehead Weinstein thing. He didn't even finish the fucking film. And so they were like, well, let's ask for the most money we can. They had, they had read that a movie, um, The Spitfire Grill, I think, had sold for $10 million. So they were like, let's just ask for $10 million. He was like, fine. He reluctantly agreed to pay $10 million to buy the movie. And then immediately, 
once the movie kind of became his, wanted to cut everything about the movie. You know, the I, I have this book called Down and Dirty Pictures written by Peter Biskin, and it's all about the 90s independent scene, and there's a lot of Weinstein stuff in there. And they called him Harvey Scissorhands because he was he was notorious for buying movies for high amounts of money and then going in and just fucking with them and not having any faith in them and doing test screenings and, and chopping them up and... Um, People hated him, you know, like he, long before all the sexual assault allegations, people hated Harvey Weinstein because he was just a monster. And Billy Bob fucking hated him too. But Billy Bob was like new enough on the scene that he, you know, was kind of reluctantly going along with these things. And he wanted him to cut any pauses in the movie. He wanted him to cut entire sequences. He wanted him to cut like an hour out of the movie. I wonder if uh, when Bill Billy Bob said that uh, Martin Scorsese saw the movie and told him, you know, now that they know, now that Hollywood knows that you know what you're doing, they're going to try to like tell you what to do. And he was like, oh, Scorsese was like absolutely right. This is it. Yeah. yeah. So he in at some point he got to meet Scorsese and Scorsese said, you don't owe Harvey anything because you paid for the making of this movie. And so you finished your film making it the way you wanted to make it without anybody else's notes. It's the only time this is ever gonna happen because you're gonna be a huge star. This movie's gonna win Oscars. You're gonna be a huge star and it's never gonna happen again. You're always gonna have to do what other people tell you to do. Don't change a thing about the movie and you don't owe it to Harvey to do it because he didn't pay for the movie. Yeah. And so he was like, that's what gave him the confidence to stand up for it. Harvey wanted to change the title. Harvey didn't like Sling Blade because he thought it sounded like a scary movie. And you know what he wanted the title to be? What? The Reckoning. He he wanted it to be the fucking mad TV joke. And so and to, to the point where uh, Billy Bob told a story where uh, the movie showed at the Telluride Film Festival. After Harvey bought it, they were still putting it into festivals before it came, before it was widely released. Billy Bob went to Telluride to, to support the movie. He gets there, he picks up the brochure, he starts looking for Sling Blade, he can't find Sling Blade anywhere. He's skimming through and he finally finds his name directed by Billy Bob Thornton under a movie called The Reckoning. Weinstein had sent it in like as with his new name and he had to be like, what are you doing? So Billy Bob fought hard, he won every battle. He didn't cut a thing, he didn't change the name and we get the movie that we have today. Hell yeah. So after Doyle's big explosion, mm -hmm. we get a scene where Carl uh, talks to Frank's mom afterwards and i think this is like low-key my favorite scene in the movie because they have just gone through this traumatic night and clearly linda's shaken and clearly carl is shaken too and so carl comes in and he he repeats this joke that he heard bill and scooter say at the auto parts store about a man from california and a man from arkansas are pissing off of a bridge and they got their dicks hanging over the bridge and one guy says man the water sure is cold and the other one says it's deep too and because um, he has a big dick because he has a big dick carl tries to tell the joke but of course he tells it right he's like two men go in the bathroom off a bridge one says water's cold the other's deep i think one of them guys was from arkansas yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and linda has a great response she just goes well i'll be dogged <laughs> but it it's it's so the reason why i love this scene so much is it's clear that carl sees now that this family is hurting mm -hmm. and he 
it's I think the first time maybe ever that Carl is like attempting to navigate other people's emotions. He's telling Linda the joke to cheer her up. And then he, I'm getting, you're getting emotional. He sits down and he uh, tells her, wow, I feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> He he sits down and he 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 tells her why he was in the the hospital and 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 to like gain her trust basically and then he ends the scene by saying he would never hurt her or or Frank and he said I, I put my hand on the Bible and say the same thing. It's just such a sweet scene that he. <laughs> <laughs> Jack is crying. Drink some water. Sorry. I just love it. it. Is. Yeah, it's, it's an like, emotional scene. It's a, it's a turning point in Carl where he's he's no longer being a socially awkward guy who doesn't understand cues. He's I think for the first time realizing like I have to I think I need to be like a force in these people's lives. Yeah. Well, he's <clears throat> we can imagine he's probably also triggered, you know, by everything that's happening too finding a lot of uh, common ground between his own experience growing up and um and she's making biscuits for him yes. too which yeah. I was like well, I wonder what like biscuits symbolize like love <laughs> cook well they're comfort. soft and fluffy yeah <laughs> <laughs> well he probably needs the biscuits because mm -hmm. Carl's shaking up too so he's like I got to I need yeah, I got to call my nurse she needs coffee because she says can I make y'all some coffee he goes coffee might, makes me nervous mm -hmm. But you know, it doesn't make him nervous. Biscuits, Biscuits yep. and mustard. Uh, so yeah, I just fucking, I fucking love this scene. So then there's a great dinner scene that happens after this where uh, <laughs> Linda and Vaughn are kind of trying to hook up Carl mm -hmm. with this woman, Melinda, that works at the dollar store. Did you know you see her working there at the in the potted meat scene? Yeah, she's kind of just standing there. Mm -hmm. She's also socially awkward. Yeah. And she's employee of the month. Which they mentioned a couple of times, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, she seems she doesn't have a filter. She seems to yes, sort of uh, you know when when she Vaughn, says what's on her mind. She says what's on her mind. Vaughn, <laughs> Vaughn's trying to explain. That's such a funny sequence. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to explain that like hey don't because he's oh so the another aspect of the scene is that Vaughn is there with Albert who is his lover. Yeah, and it's clearly a secret thing it's a small town he's not out there telling people he's gay but it's an it's a secret that everybody knows and so when Vaughn says like you know I know we've had some glasses of wine and I just if if it would be okay if people wouldn't mention that me and Albert were here and Melinda's like why <laughs> yeah everybody talks about it <laughs> and Billy Bob said in the commentary that he actually had them drink wine before this mm -hmm. Which is a no-no, but you know. He was like, I told him to drink wine before the scene and the producers were like, you shouldn't do that. And Billy Bob said, well, I told him I'd take full responsibility that it's my fault if they felt good that night. Yeah, um, very true. Uh, so I have a funny story about the actor who plays Albert in this scene. Mm. So in the year 2007, uh, Little Rock had its first annual Little Rock Film Festival. I was in it, I had a film in there. But the talk of the festival was this movie called, a short film, called Where's My Close-Up, Mr. Thornton. Oh. And so everybody was talking about it. I had to go see it. Oh my God. I went and saw this movie. I know where this is going. This is a short film made by this actor who plays Albert. His name is Tim Holder. 
This is the only scene he's in in the movie. He has a few lines in it. I think he looks over at Melinda and says, she's like talking about how her feet hurt. And he says something like, you should try nurse's shoes. So this movie, Where's My Close-Up Mr. Thornton, is all about Tim Holder. It's a, almost like an autobiographical thing about how when he shot this scene, this was his big break. He was a local Arkansas actor. He was so thrilled to get this part. And when they shot the scene, there was more to it. And there were close-ups and there were added lines and he literally had a close-up. And Billy Bob in the commentary says, I shot close-ups of everybody in the scene, but ultimately in the edit, I decided I wanted to play it all in wide because I thought it was better, which he's right. That's what, you know, you watch the movie and that's what the style of the movie is. But apparently this Tim Holder, he's, he told all his family and friends, you got to come out and see me in this movie. I got this great part and everything. And they all went and saw the movie. Big mistake. And his big close-up was cut. For all you actors out there, if you go go to the screening first, check to make sure you're in the it's movie. It's hard, yeah. It's a hard thing to navigate, yeah. and it happens sometimes. And you know, I feel bad for him. It's it's you get excited, you don't know how the so movie. So, what is the film? Is it a documentary? So, no, like, the what? film is a narrative about how this experience of thinking he's had his big break and then basically getting cut from the film has essentially tanked his life. And so, he essentially kind of wants to like take revenge on Billy Bob Thornton. And you see him kind of, it's almost like Taxi Driver or something. It's more comedic than that. But um, the third act of this short film culminates with the special edition DVD of Sling Blade coming out. And so he goes, this happens in the movie. He goes and picks up the DVD. He buys it. He sees that there's a commentary on it. Mm -hmm. So he pops in the movie and he starts watching it with the commentary. And he gets to the scene that he's in. And they use the real audio from Billy Bob Thornton's actual commentary that I that you and I watched where he says, John's gay lover here in the middle, he was so perfect for this part. He was really terrific. I guess it would have been nice to see him more, but it's just all looked really nice to me. That's what he says in the commentary. And in the movie, in the short film, Where's My Close-Up, Mr. Thornton, this brings a tear to Tim Holder's eye. Wow. And he'd, from listening to this commentary where he where Billy Bob says that he was so perfect and terrific in the part and that he he wishes he could have showed more. He he decides not to go through with his plans to like <laughs> kill, kill Billy Bob basically. Oh my and that's God. how the that's how the movie Where's My Close Up Mr. Thornton ends. Um so that's and you, I looked I tried desperately to find this. It's not online anywhere. I cannot find the short film. There's hardly even any. There's an IMDb page for you, it. So you saw it though oh, yeah. in theaters. I saw it I, at the Little Rock Film Festival that year and it won the festival. It won the Audience Award Festival that year. So question, as a director, <clears throat> mm -hmm. you watching the movie we recognize more footage was shot but as edited in a master, it's perfect. It's the right choice. But life is short. You know, people mm. are affected by the choices that we make as filmmakers. Right. I could totally understand how this guy, uh, he needs to move on, but I can understand why he would be upset. No, again, this is a fictionalized version. I, I don't think he'd actually tanked his life, but he, that's what Maybe his, it did, though. That's what his narrative yeah. of the film is. Do you, do you feel as a filmmaker that sometimes you need or, or are willing to make sacrifices for someone else to give them... Hmm. an opportunity to shine and say, you know what? It's not the best choice for the film, but it'll make someone else happy. Maybe. I think it's circumstance for circumstance. In this particular circumstance, he still gets FaceTime. You can still see him there. It's a memorable scene and he has a memorable line in it. 
It's just in a wide shot. It's not in a close up. Yeah. Um, and to me, this isn't the most egregious version of it. He didn't get completely cut from the film. He didn't show up and he's not even in it. He's still there. You know, his family and friends could point and say, there you are. He's right there. And, oh, yeah. you have a line in it and stuff. So to me, I don't, I don't think like if I don't think Billy Bob needs to, to feel bad about about it for this. Um, now, if if it was like a king of comedy thing where he came and kidnapped me and was like, you need to release a director's cut with my shot in it. You got it, dude. Mm-hmm. I'll put your shot in the movie. Yeah. And I'll talk about it in the commentary. I don't know. I think I think there's a there's a, a line to walk between what you want to do for the film versus um, gifting gifting somebody something, you know, a good experience, a happy moment in their life. You know, it's like at the end of the day what makes a scene good better best is subjective and it should be what you want it should be what makes you happy but yeah i don't know in my mind it wouldn't even have crossed his mind that that would have been a gift or that he's taking something away from him yeah you can't you can't show you know you can't give everybody everything they want in a movie and ultimately it's it's your film that's true switching gears real quick when you were doing the uh impression of billy bob doing the director's commentary yeah. i just wanted to point out that it was the most soothing director's commentary yeah. i ever heard his voice soft buttery smooth low relaxing there were a few moments where i was dozing off not because it was boring but because so his, soothing yeah yeah he spends a lot of time watching the movie too he doesn't talk all the way through it there's a lot of gaps where he just is like watching watching yeah. the film so he goes to his father's house but before he goes in he he goes and he looks at we get to see the shed that billy bob basically had to grow up in mm-hmm. and the little hole in the ground that he has slept in it's a little dirt bed this scene is whoo this mm-hmm. scene's a powerful scene because the music is so fucking good mm-hmm. you get this like It reminds me. It reminds me of some of the music from White Lotus. I feel like what, not the weird, yeah. you know, like ooh, yeah, but some of the the um, more s- score within the episode yeah, stuff. Yeah, I feel like definitely White Lotus. Composer. But it's more haunting and emotional. And then he goes inside his 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 old house, and it seems like nobody's living there. It's dilapidated. It's Texas Chainsaw. But then he walks into the room, and his dad is sitting there. And of course, it's Robert Duvall. He's not looking so good. Yeah, it seems like he has like some dementia or something too. Yeah, Caval's performance is very interesting in this because it's very short. You know, he's one of our greatest actors. Mm-hmm. Literally just talking to himself like, what, what's going on here? I'll kick your head in. And it's great. And he's behind him is this like shrine of Jesus. Carl says, like, I read the Bible and I don't understand a lot of it, but I feel like I understand a good bit of it. And like, the stories you told me ain't in there. And you start to realize that like they were using religion to justify their own fucked up shit that they mm-hmm. were doing. I will say this movie does feel to me like it's critical of religion, but it's I think it's ultimately pro-religion. Carl is, de- is a depiction of the purest form of a religious person. Yeah, the religion is beautiful. The way it's practiced is Exactly. Is I think that the, the ultimate theme of religion in this movie is that when in the hands of bad people, religion can be extremely bad. Yeah. So the hammer scene. The hammer scene. <laughs> Linda and Doyle, they're sleeping in the middle of the night. Carl walks in holding a hammer. 
Carl says, I want to be baptized. <laughs> and Doyle's like, well, go fucking find a preacher. We can't baptize you. <laughs> Linda's like, we'll get you baptized this yeah, weekend. She's not freaking out at all. Not at all. And then Doyle notices he's holding the hammer. He goes, why are you holding that hammer, Carl? And Carl says, I don't know. I guess I just woke up with it. Mm -hmm. I hate when that happens. So then there's a great baptism scene, which also has some good music. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's uh -huh. yeah, good. I've been to a few baptisms. W was it in a river like that? No, uh, no. And all the baptisms I ever went to were in like a public pool. Mm. or a hospital pool. It was interesting to just have this big gathering of people all stand around a pool and watch a preacher dunk a, dunk a dude in, into the, to the water. And then so now Carl starts basically this, this kind of a sequence where Carl goes and he like says goodbye to everybody. Mm -hmm. An interesting thing that Billy Bob points out in the commentary is that in all three of these goodbye sequences, the last line of each scene is the character calling out Carl's name in confusion. So he says goodbye to Linda and he walks away and Linda goes, Carl? And then he goes to Frank and he gives Frank his books and he asks Frank, can I put my arm around you? And he puts his arm around him. He tells him that he loves him. It's like becoming an old man. I'm an idiot. <clears throat> and then he, he leaves and as he's leaving, uh, Frank pulls a note out of Carl's books that says, you'll be happy. And Frank turns and he goes, Carl? So that's two Carls. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I'm just like at a sustained level of tears in my yeah. eyes. The John, From this point on. The John Ritter scene is my, is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. That's when he says the line, that boy lives inside of his own heart. That's an awful big place to live. Well, it basically tells him too like that he's not, he can't imagine the Lord sending someone like him to hell. Exactly. Which is a rebuke, <clears throat> a rebuke of this Christian, you know, narrative of homophobia. Yeah. Which I love. And then as he walks away, Vaughn says, Carl? Because they all can feel Carl's about to do something. So then we get this great sequence where Carl's sharpening his lawnmower blade. He's sharpening his Excalibur blade to go slay the dragon. So this this lawnmower blade, this is a different weapon than a sling this blade? This is not a sling blade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a lawnmower blade. So he's not married to killing people with a sling <laughs> yeah, blade. Yeah, exactly. No, which I think is a smart move. Yeah. To me, it's another layer of this movie that is cool. Because you would think, oh, he's going to get a sling blade. He's going right. to do it again. But I kind of, I love that he doesn't. It's odd. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the title of the movie, um, but then it's almost like it becomes the moniker from this earlier murder but when it comes time to killing doyle he just grabs a lawnmower blade you know what another good title for this movie would have been lawnmower man exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i thought this was cool carl goes to the house doyle is just sitting there he's reading the paper he's drinking a beer this is an interesting scene to me because it's so it's i don't want to say it's anticlimactic because to me it's perfect but on paper it's kind of anticlimactic because mm -hmm. there's not a scuffle there's not even a showdown necessarily. Doyle is like very calm and at ease and isn't really. It's almost like he he knows what's coming and he's accepting. His. Yeah, it is a little surprising. It's not what I would I would expect. Yeah, because for... it's 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 hard to justify why the character would feel that way yeah. other than the fact that the character knows it's what he's deserved. Oh, that was another interesting thing. 
that he's talked about in the commentary that uh, Billy Bob assigned astrological signs to all the characters. Mm-hmm. And he gave um, Doyle the Aries, which is very passionate, strong-willed. He gave Carl Capricorn, which is a very quiet, unassuming, but a perseverer. And he loves corn. <laughs> Which is, yes, everybody knows that's what Capricorn means, lover of corn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He tells Doyle that he's going to kill him. And Billy Bob said that in his mind, this scene was like the end of Apocalypse Now when Martin Sheen confronts Brando. He's he's also got a big old blade. Mm -hmm. And Brando, you know, has that whole monologue that he gives before he it's almost like he knows, too. And it's it's dead on. Like you know, the second he said that, I was like, "Wow, this is so much like the final sequence of Apocalypse Now." He's just kind of slowly coming up on him with this blade, and right before he takes a swing down, the final character says, "Carl, chomp." Interesting choice to frame out the gore and the the violence. I'm glad he did. Obviously, a little confusing why the movie's rated R. I don't know if you were able. Oh, to- the curse words. Rated R? Yeah, you can rate R for Carson. Like what, Pecker? Doyle has plenty of harsh language here. And yes, Pecker was a big, big deal back then. And then he sits down and he picks out a biscuit, puts mustard on there. This is the moment at the end of Terminator 2 when he goes into the lava pit at the end. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same scene. But he's holding a biscuit out. He's holding a biscuit. He goes into a pit of mustard. Um, what do you think his mood is? What do you what do you imagine the next ten years of his life? Do you think he's happy? You think because earlier he wanted to come back to the hospital? Yeah. Do you think he is at peace? I think he is because I think Carl is a um, I think Carl is a very wise and thoughtful person, and I think he knows like we know that he served his purpose in life, getting out of there. And rescuing that family was what he was meant to do. And uh, I think he probably feels a sense of pride about that. And and um, obviously, he's going to miss seeing them. And maybe they can come visit him. It's not really clear. That maybe they can. You That's know? what Billy, Billy Bob's mom says that she likes to imagine, that they come visit him right. and bring him biscuits. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, and we will be right back with our final thoughts on Sling Boy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And we're back with Cinema Possessed, and we are joined here by another Arkansas native, 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Corey Clifford. Howdy, y'all. That's Howdy. My, that's my Southern. Uh, so, Corey, you've watched this movie with me before. Yes. I know that. Uh, but bring us back. When was the, Do you remember the first time you saw Sling Blade? I really wish I could, but I can't. I've seen it a lot, and I even remembered when we were watching this movie that I watched this movie in school, in middle school. I ve- and I did. I mean, it's rated R, but definitely I that remembered it. It was a missions English class in sixth grade. Cool teacher, yeah. She was a cool teacher. She also, I saw her um, in the crowd of my first ever concert, Sugar Ray and Goo Goo Dolls. Saw it with my dad. And a mission, you saw mission, there? mission was there. But Billy Bob Thornton has always been. I've always wanted to be an actor, and so he's been brought up to me a billion times. Like, well, Billy Bob did it. Yeah, I've been chopping at the bit to talk about this movie. I love it. So yeah, so much. Uh, yeah, how does it hold up watching it now? It holds up so I mean, better than I even remember. I was crying, honestly, the second Lucas Black comes on the screen, yeah. crying because he's so cute. He's so cute in his little country boy accent. Like, it just the whole movie just feels so nostalgia to me because. It actually looks like Arkansas. I feel like a lot of movies that are Southern movies don't quite feel like there's something so specific about Arkansas. Yeah. And it was shot really close to where we where we grew, grew up. up. I, I yeah. mean, I don't recognize any of these locations specifically, but Benton was we drove through Benton all the time. To get yeah. Close, so, so it feels very nostalgic to me. I feel like uh, something I always do when we're watching the movies is I immediately I'm like, that actor looks like this actor. And Lucas Black comes on the screen. And, you know, I thought immediately of our good friend, great actor, Quinn Gassaway, mm-hmm. who was the child, uh, the little boy in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? We got a R-U-N-N-O-F-T. Yes, he's that kid in that movie. And he, I mean, he could have been the kid in this movie totally, like him. Yeah. It's so similar. But I love Lucas Black. I remember having a crush on him when I was a kid. Did you follow him through like Tokyo Drift, Friday Night Lights? Friday Night Lights for sure. Tokyo Drift, I remember being really excited that he was going to be in it, but I did not give a shit about the Fast My dad loves him. He was a star of uh, one of the NCIS's, I think New Orleans. Mm -hmm. He's not anymore, but... um, New Orleans? That's weird that you pronounce it like that. New Orleans? New Orleans. Sorry. Nolans. Yeah, Nolans. Nolans. <laughs> Another funny thing about Lucas Black was they said that he um, he had no ambitions to be an actor. He just wanted to be a pro fisherman. And so in between every take, when they were shooting by the water, he brought his fishing pole and he would go fishing and he would catch catfish. There's video on the Blu-ray of him yeah, catching catfish Yeah, that's in a bunch of the stuff. special features, which I will say out of the, what, three movies we've watched so far, this has been the only one that I've wanted to watch all the special features with Jack with. I was desperate to see Billy Bob switching from Carl to director, which is insane to watch. Like if you, I would YouTube it if you can, or if you have the Blu-ray, watch it. But wow, it's truly incredible. The mom, Natalie Canarday, she, Jack brought it up, but she's an Arkansas legend. She's performing at Murray's Dinner Theater Playhouse in Little Rock. Still to this day. She's the best. She um, If you're making a movie in Arkansas and you're not putting Natalie Canarday in your movie, you're making a huge mistake. Yeah. Honestly, anywhere in the South or just in a movie. She's such a good actor. And she judged. I went to a performing arts high school and we had to do like a thesis project for to graduate our senior year. And I did a one woman show as Judy Garland and she was the judge and she came in and she, I like had to stand in front of her and she told me everything she thought about me. And she told me that she thought I was a great actress and that I should continue pursuing it. And that meant, and I remember being like, Oh my God, Natalie Canada is here. Like it was a really big deal. Um, So that was cool. Another funny thing I thought of in this movie at the beginning of the movie, there's, 
you know, the scene where the high school girl <laughs> comes in to interview yes. a murderer. And I was like, God, that's so like, what? That would never happen. And then I was like, but this is Arkansas. And suddenly I had a flashback. Jack, I bet you'll remember this. And Justin, I wonder if your middle school did this. We took a field trip in middle school in Arkansas to the prison and they had us, <laughs> us like in the waiting room of the prison. Policemen come. I mean, it was like a scared straight type situation, yeah. but they took we were, I don't know, 12, 13, maybe they had us walk through the prison, look through the windows at the prisoners. This is disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's I can't believe this was allowed. But I remember like looking out a window like peeking into the prisoners and they i remember one guy pretended to do the jerk off motion at us and you know what if i was him i probably would have done that too i was like why the fuck are you bringing 13 year olds to like look at the prisoners in the zoo did you do this in middle school no way (laughs) i feel like it feels like a very like you sure they weren't like trying to to like show you how bad prisons were and that we should abolish prisons (laughs) i definitely don't think that was it in the short film that actress is played by molly ringwald i love all of the actors in this movie i mean i'm kind of just regurgitating what you've been saying but it all just felt so authentic like the two guys who work at the mechanic shop i guess is what it is the auto shop yeah the auto shop are i'm obsessed with them a lot of those scenes felt like a play sort of to me like it was out of a dinner theater performance yeah um but they're the the whole community they're just so besides doyle they're all so sweet and like it's magic it's like lightning in a bottle this movie because there's aspects of it that feel nine 290s maybe mm-hmm. the music some of the, the music feels very even though i i love it and you know even even the way some of it is shot you know feels very indie 90s mm-hmm. and yeah like you said there's sort of a playhouse vibe to it and part of that's because they're using non-actors or local actors who don't have as much experience but what you get is like flavor and uniqueness to everything and as a whole it all works. I could see maybe the first time you watch this movie, maybe being kind of thrown by some of that stuff. But now, you know, I've seen this movie so many times that to me, it's just like, it's just perfect. Yeah. What it as as it is, I wouldn't change a thing. Even the funny, weird music. The only music cue that kind of like gets me is that one when she brings the flowers to Carl, and that song <laughs> it's is a like, little hallmarkiness to it. Yeah. You're so damn sweet. It reminded me of that movie Hope Floats, which I made you watch not that long ago. <laughs> which sucked. Okay, ass. stop. Sandra Bullock and, and Harry Connick Jr. are charming as hell. To to, and I was just like, this movie stinks. Mm, it didn't hold up quite as well as I thought, but Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr. are. Yeah, they got dream something. They got team. something. Oh, you know who was a real stand? Abigail. No, not no, Abigail. May Whitman. May Whitman. May Whitman yeah. was fucking good in that movie. She's probably when she was a seven child, or eight. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stunning. They were saying, uh, I've never seen it, but Pushing Tin is a, a yeah. romance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it good? Is yeah. it worth yeah. watching? I remember seeing it. In my it. memory, the same way I thought Hope Floats was going to be great, I remember loving it. Yes. And that's yeah. where he met Jolie. Yeah, must have been. Oh, yeah. Must have been. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I mean the Billy Billy Bob's career after this, he he quickly became he did Armageddon pretty quickly after this too, and he's <sighs> so really good. good in that. And he's playing kind of normal, you know, charming, almost leading man Billy Bob, even though he's not the lead of it. Yeah, he's but in Pushing Tin, it's him and John Cusack, they're kind of the leads of the film. But he can play 
sexy. And he, I would say Billy Bob looks very different now than he even did back then mm-hmm. in terms of just his his general appearance. I loved him in uh, The Man Who Wasn't There. Yes, he's so good in The Man Who Wasn't There. And he's such a good actor. Like he's, I think he's fantastic. I mean, the in Fargo, like recently, even yeah. like Fargo, I think he's, I can't I mean, look we could, away. I can't wait to do Dead Man. I can't wait to do U-Turn. I can't wait Wait, to, what was the movie you brought up earlier? The one with Bill Paxton? Uh, one False Move. Yeah. I can't wait to do I One False Move. I love that movie. He's, he's Ooh, great. Everything he's he t- And honestly, I, I went through at one point in time and watched a lot of movies that he had written too that he was like not even, there's, there's a movie that he wrote um, called A Family Thing with Robert Duvall and James Earl Jones. And it's, it's about Robert Duvall realizing that his biological mother was black and that his brother is James Earl Jones. Billy Bob Thornton wrote that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not bad. Sounds awful. <laughs> no, I'm like, mm, and it, the, he tells a story in the in the behind the or in the DVD extras that he met Robert Duvall because he was a huge admirer of him, and Robert Duvall was like, um, "I want you to write me a movie where I play black." Oh my god! And Billy Bob Thornton was like, "I guess I'll have to figure that one out," and that's the story that he came up with. Wow. <laughs> Uh, alarming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, back to Sling Blade. Uh, something I really appreciate is the all the very authentic Southern accents. I feel like so many Southern movies have people talking like this, and it's like yeah. so throws me. They're out. real in this movie. Do yeah. you do you feel that uh, filmmakers should only cast real Southern actors to play Southern roles, or does it bother no, you if I someone just... from California's Put in on a southern accent if it's if it's good no if it's good it yeah, doesn't it's good. bother me it's just i think that a lot of people just attribute every southern accent to sound the same but like a texas to an arkansas to a georgia a georgia to like an alabama like it's very there's just different flavors and arkansas honestly what it is is fucking country yeah and to me it's not even really about this like lucas black's accent probably isn't technically Arkansas yeah, he's Alabama but it's so clearly authentic mm-hmm. that it's like that's all you need and that's I just I feel like you and I have a good radar for when it's put on mm-hmm. and so it's not necessarily like it has to be perfect to the to the location or to the, to the people itself it just has to feel like it's real from someplace yeah do you feel agree that Billy Bob totally disappears into Carl Absolutely. or do you see Billy Bob no that's why I wanted to watch all the behind the scenes things because I wanted to see how he turns into Carl. And it's exactly like, you know, he does it with his body. I was just wondering the whole time too, like, did he destroy his body in this role? Cause he, his jaw, he completely changes his jaw. Yeah. He mentioned his jaw hurting and needing some sort of like liquid throat soother. Mm. Yeah. Antiseptic. And like, I feel like his shoulders and his back, like all of it is just. Dwight Yoakam is a real transformation too, because you know, you've, everybody knew who Dwight Yoakam was as a rock star. But he's so completely different. It's funny though, I didn't. I've I when I think Dwight Yoakam, I only think Sling Blade. Yeah, I knew who he was. I don't I don't really know. The only song of his that I know is the one that's in Terminator 2 when he <laughs> when Arnold walks into the bar at the beginning, he's naked that song. Guitars, Cadillacs, Hillbilly Muse. Don't know that song, but that's, that's the only Dwight Yoakam song. To that on the that's the that's another Terminator 2 reference. Uh, wow. Hey, we're finding ref- have we found anything? Yeah. We've already talked about some Texas chainsaw. Sure. When he goes into his dad's house. Mm-hmm. I would say that the character of Carl is as iconic and as mimicable as the character of Tony Montana. 
Sure. You know, it's it's a, it's a caricature in a, in a lot of ways. And the religion and, knock at the cabin in our Patreon episode. The religion knock at the cabin. Yeah, knock at the cabin is finding its way into all of our conversations here, which is why everybody needs to go see the movie and then subscribe to our Patreon and listen <laughs> to our conversation about it. Uh, Patreon.com slash cinema Okay. Um, <laughs> I, um, I love this movie. I cried multiple times. I, I kept looking at Jack like when Carl's going around doing his like final goodbyes. I was like, do you think they know? Do you think they know what he's about to do? Like yeah. I just wanted. And then after the movie was done, I was like, do you think that they went and visited him in prison? Can he have prisoners? Like I, it sat with me. And in my mind, I think they did. I think they come and visit him. And it is. Could you? But just let's be real for one second. Imagine coming home. And seeing Doyle sitting on but the couch. But they didn't. But he made sure that that didn't happen. He mm. called the police. He made sure that they stayed with Frank. Yeah, and that's the them, other thing. He's such know, a beautiful be man. Stay with Vaughn. You'd yeah. still be mad if someone was murdered in your house. I don't house. think the oh, little boy no, is going to be. They wouldn't be mad about Doyle. I think the mom might be uh, have mixed feelings about it. But I think the... What's John Ritter's name? Why can't I... Vaughn. Frank. Vaughn. Vaughn. Who's Frank? The little boy. Lucas Black. Vaughn. And Frank are 100% happy. Mom is maybe the couch, mixed feelings. The couch might be ruined. Oh, well, they can there get a new couch. Bad vibes in the, the spirits. Well, you they know? might move. Maybe Ghosts. they'll maybe they'll finally leave there and they'll go to St. Because the only thing that was keeping Vaughn in that town was the mom and Frank. And he says that. Yeah. So maybe now that dude's dead, they'll all move to St. Louis together. What do you think? And the have mom- a happy life. What do you think the mom told Frank happened to Carl? Where'd Carl go? Where's Carl? Oh, he knows. They I'm have sure such an open yeah. relationship. She's such probably like, like a- Carl killed Doyle. And he was probably like, yes. I knew I it. I knew Carl. he was going to do that. He told me at the late. <laughs> he did exactly what I wanted him to do. Ugh, it's just, it's. I loved it. A plus plus. Two thumbs up. Blows Texas Chainsaw out of the oh water. Oh my God. I don't even put it in the same sentence. What's your favorite scene in the movie? Oh, that's a good one. I think I think it's that final scene with um, Frank and Carl at the at the lake. What do you do? Jack must be surprising us with something. He just got up and is leaving the room. Delivery? I guess maybe he got oh, meat in a can Popeyes. or something. Oh my god, he ordered a French fried potatoes and biscuits. Wow. Jack's coming in with Popeyes. Oh my God. It's beautiful. Beautiful way to round up. But Justin, uh, it's the final scene by the lake when he asked him to put his arm around him. Mm. I'm just, when he's like, has all the books and it's just, you know what's happening. It's such a sweet scene. I was sobbing. Yeah. What was the, what was on the note again? You will be happy. I mean, what? And oh my God, that's my favorite thing though, is if you notice, he's like, like Lucas Black is like pulling at something in the book mm-hmm. the whole time. And you think he's just like fidgeting because he's like nervous and he knows that, I think he knows that he's going to go do something. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Swing Did we? Boy. Did we say everything? <laughs> but yeah, I said everything. Now that we've said everything there is to say about Sling Blade, in lieu of a game, I oh. thought it might be fun for us to all taste test Carl's favorite foods. <laughs> Rum Popeyes. Frosty so, cream was closed. I have had a delivery where I have Popeyes famous biscuits. Oh my God, my stomach is growling. Yeah. And 
I probably should have gotten a large order of these. The big didn't get any chicken. I didn't get, yeah, I should have gotten the biggins. No, I didn't get any chicken. But I have fries here. God, that oh, looks and you brought disgusting. mustard, didn't you? This is why you brought mustard. Okay, we were at Trader Joe's and Jack bought yellow mustard, and I thought it was such a weird thing to buy. So then it's all making sense. I have like ask me if I have mustard. <laughs> you can't. You can't. But you would have Dijon. I was mad Jack didn't buy Dijon, and he bought this weird yellow mustard. You can't have biscuits without mustard and fries. So we will all try uh, biscuits and mustard, fries and mustard. And I also have us a little bit of pot of meat. You son of a bitch. <laughs> With soda crackers. Oh my God. So guys. Why why keep it a secret? <laughs> why not say when I brought it because up? Because this is more fun. But okay. Justin ordered a delivery of a so, case of it. First things first, everybody grab a biscuit. Go on. Hand me one, Justin, please. We're gonna start with biscuit. Everybody put a little squirt of mustard. I highly recommend taking a quick little bite of just the biscuit because, wow. <laughs> biscuit, good. Mustard, good. Biscuit, mustard, good. Mm. I get it. I like it. I do, too. It's honestly a good combination. Carl? Pass that mustard. Carl, you're on to something. Put a little bit more on. Mm. Justin, did you notice rallies was in the background of the town? Speaking of world building. Rallies. No. Do you know what rallies is? Sounds familiar. Jack but... and I had this question if Rally's is a southern fast food chain or not. Mm, I don't think I know it. I looked it up. It's not. It's not southern only. Really good burgers, but they also had waffle fries. Oh, seasoned mm, waffle fries. I like the those. best. They were really good. And then they were, they were kind of similar to like a backyard burgers. I think the, the same owners own checkers, which I've never eaten out of checkers. They're, Let's try those fries. So we can all agree biscuits and mustard, pretty good. Great. Yeah. All Carl right. So let's do let's do fries and mustard next. Have you ever had Church's Chicken, Justin? I never have. Oh, that's another really good Southern fried chicken place, fast food place. Were we the ones who took you to Waffle House for your first time? You were. Ah, wow. I, I loved it. It's incredible. Did you eat your fries? Oops. <laughs> How do they taste? So good. These fries are incredible. They're they're like they look disgusting, but they're good. Mm. They remind me of uh, Garibaldi's. Does anyone? No Garibaldi's. Fries? No, I don't an even Italian, know. Italian, Italian pizza place from my hometown in Chicago. They had seasoned fries like that. I used to get with nacho cheese sauce and dip them in. Ooh, I'm, nacho cheese for me was mustard for Carl. Put it on anything. Same, same. Seasoned fries at our high school when they got seasoned fries. And you could buy that with the side of cheese sauce. Mm -hmm. This is so terrible for you. That's crazy. It was in the quote unquote, we called it the rich people line because they served like seasoned fries and Otis Spunkmeyer cookies. That was high school? Yeah. In high wow. school, there was like a a, a cheap, like $1.25 lunch, which is classic elementary school lunch. Or you could go to the, the rich line that had seasoned fries and cheese sauce. Whew, that was a good line. How often would you get those fries and cheese sauce? probably a disturbing amount did you have any uh franchise chains in the high school cafeteria no well oda Spunkmeyer cookies that's it we didn't have like a mcdonald's or a pizza oh my or... god people had that <laughs> we, had, we had a subway in our high in school. your high school yeah every friday it would be sub subway official subway sandwiches that's insane yeah. all right so last well how did you like them fries fries mustard and fries. good great yeah pretty good i want to take a bite with French fries, mustard, and biscuit all in one. Do it. Baby, you got to throw that potted meat in there. 
All right, so here we go. I'm going to open up the Ugh, potted meat. Tell us what it smells like. None of us. So this is the armor potted meat. Pretty sure this is what he's eating. This was, I think, 69 cents. Where'd you get it from? Um, I had it delivered from Walmart. Oh, that's why you did Instacart. Yeah. Then. So many things yeah. are coming together. I was lying to you about my plans. All right, so I'm opening it up. I have no idea what this is even going to look like. Mm. Are you paying attention? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, can you can you read the ingredients first? Mechanically separated chicken. Oh my god. Oh my god, disgusting. don't read it. Read it after. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> we got to know. Mechanically separated chicken, pork, water, salt contains 2% or less of mustard, vinegar, dextrose sodium, garlic powder, natural flavors and sodium nitrite. I don't wanna. So it's chicken and pork. No peckers. You know you can't try to say that. You're just a boy. All right, here we go. Open Their relationship up. is so sweet. It's a beautiful. Ooh, that sounded good. Ugh, it looks like cat food. Cat food. It smells. Is that why you stick your head? Yeah, right? it's a bit loud. It actually, you know what it smells like? Vienna sausage. Are we putting mustard on this? He no, doesn't do that. He no. puts it on crackers. Um, have you ever had Vienna sausages? No. You I have. Yeah. yeah. I'm scared. Okay, so I'm getting a soda cracker. I bet you're gonna love it. And I'm, ooh, it's like butter. It's kind of like, like a pate. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's the what's the duck stuff called? Foie gras. It's like a foie gras. It's like hillbilly foie gras. All right. Oh, I want okay. A gag. Okay, here we go. We're all gonna take a bite at the same time. Are we just putting the whole cracker in? I'm vegetarian, but I'm doing this for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> all right, three, two, one. It's not bad. Hmm. It's like weirdly soft. You know, it's like really. I don't want any more, but it's not bad. Yeah, I'll never eat it again. But I can see why Carl liked it. Yeah. Well, that concludes. Wait, you need to say if you are going to keep it in your. Oh, my God, you're totally right. Why do we always forget this? Well, Justin, let's start with you. Concerning this DVD that you have that has no special features other than the French language version of the film and a widescreen presentation, are you going to keep it, trash it, or upgrade it? Let the people know. Really hard decision because I love the movie. I want the Blu-ray, but it's hard to find. And it's expensive, and you can only get it on eBay. You got a bid on it. Yeah. I watched most of the special features. I can't imagine ever watching them again. My DVD, I like it. It's that old school, thick plastic DVD case. Not like how they make them now with that recycle symbol. You know, this is the, the heavy duty plastic that doesn't ever biodegrade. Right. I like the cover. I like the quality of the disc. I know there's no special features, but as far as revisiting the movie, it's all I need. I think I'm going to keep it. Hell yeah. Well, I love this movie too. It's a fucking classic. It's probably one of my favorite films of all time. Billy Bob is a king forever for making it. And I love that I have it on Blu-ray. I like the special features. I didn't even get through them all. Like I didn't watch the Bravo special on Billy Bob Thornton, but maybe one day I will. So I'm happily going to keep this Blu-ray. The Bravo one is fun. You, uh, he goes back home to Arkansas and like meets all his old <gasps> friends and Ooh, people who watch that. worked at cafes and diners that he used to frequent when he was a kid. It's cool. If you had to only pick one movie, Sling Blade or Terminator 2, what would you pick? Ooh, that's a really great question. So like the Desert Island kind of deal? Yeah. I'm gonna, oh God. That's a really hard question, because I'm torn. 
I think I would, my instinct is saying Sling Blade, because I think I just, I get more out of it now at this stage of my life. I enjoy the hell out of Terminator 2. I love it a lot. Um, I'm gonna go Sling Blade. I'm not gonna answer. Damn, <laughs> you set me up. My final thought of Sling Blade is that it makes me want to make a movie in Arkansas more than anything. Really, it's like yeah. the three of us, we have to shoot something in Arkansas. Well, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media, at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And hey, if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get these things. And uh, Justin, tell them what we'll be watching next week. Next week, we'll be watching Spike Lee's He Got Game. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Some folks say goodbye. I say hasta la vista, baby. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.